and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast today. In a time when so many Christians debate and argue and fight over doctrines and practices and beliefs and who and who cannot belong to a church, excluding and ultimately hurting people, Tracy Rhodes is a loving voice of unity, encouraging each of us to deeply love the church instead of divide over our beliefs about the church. In this episode of the podcast, I interview Tracy and she shares how she's a small town Southern Baptist girl who discovered and fell in love with liturgy, prayer beads, silence, the Book of Common Prayer, and the broad church experiences of other traditions. She's moved from not simply loving her particular faith tradition and church experience, but loving the great tradition, the historic church experience. What I enjoyed about this conversation is that Tracy and I, sure, we probably disagree on certain beliefs, but we didn't really get into that. I don't even know if we would disagree with anything, but we might. But what I found united us and made me realize that we could have talked for hours was that our belief that the church, as flawed and as messed up as it is because it's made of people, it is a way for us to encounter and experience the love of the divine. It has a way, a a mystical, a mysterious way even, of drawing us nearer to God. And when we move away from arguing that our tradition is right while other traditions are wrong, when we're humble enough to finally think, heh, I might be wrong about some things too, we can actually find that the church is a beautiful diamond. It's a treasure that we can cherish rather than something we just point out its flaws. Tracy just released a book, which is called Not All Who Spiritually Wander Are Lost, which chronicles her journey of this exploration that she's been on to discover different Christian churches and how that has given her a greater love and appreciation, not only for the church, but also for the divine. If you're like me, a bit of a church mutt, not sure where you land or what style is right for you, this might be a great book and resource for you. If you want more information on Tracy, be sure to check out her website. It's tracesoffaith.com. She has quite a social media presence as well, and you can follow her there. I've linked all those in the show notes for you. And if you've liked this podcast and you like this episode, please, if you could rate and review this on iTunes, that is a huge help. And to be honest, it's an encouragement for me to know that this is resonating with you. Another way to help out is you can share this on your social media so more people can find out how to listen. As always, this podcast is written, recorded, and edited on Monacan land. And with that, here's my interview with Tracy Rhodes. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's exciting for you to be here. Simple intro, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about what do you do professionally and who are you personally? Just give us a glimpse of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a small town girl. I always like to lead with that. I grew up in a small um, town in the country, actually outside of um, Kansas City, Missouri, and then live now currently outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So a uh, small town, just a short drive away to, uh, to cities always. And um, I think that influences, you know, who, who you are as an individual. I um, actually do quite a bit of writing and thinking about that. 
2014, I started a blog called oh, Traces yeah. of Faith. And at the time, um, I was doing women's ministry at my local church. And I had done some writing for um, Facebook for their page. I had done some writing on a blog that they started. And I found that I, what I had to offer them as readers, I thought I could probably offer readers of a broader audience as well. So I started the blog, Traces of Faith, and wrote about a lot of different things. Um, I am the mother of a little girl who's 12. And uh, my husband and I just had our anniversary last month, 17 years. And like I said, a s small town, um, we live on kind of what we call a hobby farm. We have chickens and pigs and um, dogs and cats and uh, occasional salamanders, etc. So um, started writing about all of that. But what I found very quickly was I enjoyed writing about church the most um, in my faith journey. And 2015, uh, after reading some books and just kind of where I was personally on my faith journey, I attended an Ash Wednesday service at a local Catholic church. And looking back now, my book that I just um, have released last, last week, it released May 17th, my book started there. Um, and it was about a five-year journey. Um, and definitely, I'll still write about other things on occasion, but what my readers seem to connect with the most and what I am most passionate about when I'm writing is, is church, the greater church um, in particular in all of its different facets. That's great. Tell us a little bit about your new book. I love the title, Not All Who Wander, or Not All Who Spiritually Wander Are Lost, but I know it kind of chronicles your story of being a part of different Christian churches, ex church traditions, experiences. So can you share a little bit about that faith and what you hope to accomplish through writing it? Sure, sure. I grew up um, Southern Baptist. That was the church of my childhood and my youth, and uh, had a great church experience. Um, but as I began reading, probably I'd say mid-20s, um, early 30s, as I began reading about other people's church experiences, I realized there was so much I didn't know. I know nothing of church history. I didn't know the word liturgy, had to look it up. Um, I didn't know anything of um, church calendar and observing that uh, throughout the year. And as I looked back, I realized I had denominational influences and different friends and family who did know those things. I guess I just, um, you know, you know them as individuals. You don't know them as members of a specific church. And so I got to writing about um, the different people that influenced my church story. And, uh, you know, they say whenever you start a book, you're supposed to always start with the first about three chapters. Um, and then you find a publishing company and they like to kind of have their hands on the rest of the process. And so I, I was a brand new writer, um, had a decent audience, but nobody was knocking on my door. I'll say that. Um, and so I 
started writing and what I found was as I started thinking about all of these church experiences and started thinking about how I had grown beyond just the Southern Baptist tradition, it was like a faucet that was turned on. Um, I couldn't turn the stories off in my head. And so literally I would get up at like two or three in the morning and just jot down a note of what story I wanted to include in the chapter on youth group, you know, or whatever. And so as I was piecing that story together for the book, um, it takes you from my church story in the beginning um, as a baby all the way to present day. I currently um, am a member of a Reformed Church of America church. And so it takes you on that long journey. But then um, interwoven within is my best friend from high school who's Catholic. And when I lived in St. Louis, um, I remember going, I share this story in the um, book. I went to a business meeting and we were going to take um, a train ride to wherever this meeting was. So we were at this train station and a gentleman showed up and he had a mark on his forehead that looked like ashes. And in my mind, I thought, did he tend the fire like before he came to work and he doesn't realize he leaned up against it? Or was he at a bonfire last night and didn't shower real good? Like, I had no idea. And so when we sat down um, to take the train ride, my coworker knew um, more about uh, Catholicism and about the traditions of uh, people in St. Louis than I did. And so I asked her, and that's the first time I learned um, about Ash Wednesday. I was probably 24 um, at the time, 25. And so uh, sharing those different experiences. And uh, when I, I signed with an agent a couple of years before, um, I actually signed a book contract. And one of the things that he suggested that we started working on right away was that I add other stories to the book just to make it stronger because the book is really a celebration of church. It's the fact that if you go into an Orthodox church or a Lutheran church or a Pentecostal church, there might be some differences. There might be some things that we do a little differently, but you will walk out feeling like you had a church experience and there is a community of believers that form that church. And that's what this book celebrates. And so I went and I found, I believe it's 14 other individuals who share a portion of their church story. So that's, that's the book in a nutshell. That's cool. I'm, I'm a bit of a theological church mutt myself. I mean, I grew up Lutheran, attended a, a Baptist church for most of high school and college. Um, I moved around a lot. So I was a part of a Pentecostal church until... Um, they spoke in tongues and it freaked me out and I left. And then uh, now I attend an Episcopal church, but I've been a part of multi-ethnic churches and very contemporary churches as well as liturgical churches. But what I found in my journey is there was a time where I really bashed other churches, right? Like I, I was taught, well, this church is wrong. And then I attended that type of church and I was like, huh. Maybe they're not as wrong, but that church over there is wrong. Um, and I think now, over years, I kind of have seen, oh, there's such a richness and a depth to the broader global church. And there's, in, instead of viewing it as wrong sides or wrong debates, it's almost like the whole church is a diamond. And I, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to move the diamond around and see different facets. And rather than pointing out the flaws, I see the glimmer of each. 
And so it's really impacted me positively. Um, and so have, it sounds like you've had a similar experience. And if so, I'd love to hear more of what has it done it, being a part of different church experiences and even hearing some of these stories that you've written in this book. How has it um, deepened your love for the church as well as just the Christian faith in general? Yeah, um, I, I could go on and on and on um, to answer that question. And I I think that's why a book was born from it, um, because it take one example. Um, I read a book um, by Lauren Winner, um, Girl Meets God, sometime in uh, early 20s, probably is when I read it profoundly affected me again mostly because i was reading about all of these tenets of christianity that i had never even heard of i didn't even know they existed and so after reading lauren's book i bought the book of common prayer got a used copy and i put it on my bookshelf while i thumped through it first i had no idea how to use it i i was like there's kind of prayer. It's not a devotional. I know devotionals. It's not a devotional. There's some prayers, but then it kind of looks like there's stuff that you use during church. Like actually, like, and I was confused. So I put it on my bookshelf and it sat there for probably two or three years. And the more books I read, and we haven't even touched yet on the fact that because of our online world, I'm able to meet a huge number of different Christians. Um, who know so many things that I don't. And so eventually this book of common prayer kept calling to me and I pulled it out and mainly due to some friends who um, on Twitter, who told me some of the things that they really liked um, about the, the book of common prayer and certain prayers and litanies that they liked, et cetera. I pulled it back out and I have since dog-eared um, some pages. We joke, my Book of Common Prayer is small, so it doesn't have ribbons. I'm so sad. Um, maybe I'll upgrade someday. But anyway, I discovered that praying formal prayers, thousands of years old, which like, like you were saying about different churches, I would have said that was wrong, right? We say the word rote. We say, oh, they just recite it as fast as they can, and it means nothing, you know, whatever. I did the same thing with John three sixteen, <laughs> you know, and I find that a lot. What, um, you know, uh, I, I'm chasing a squirrel here for a minute. Um, whenever I am incredibly sad, whenever I was experienced times of grief, for whatever reason, oftentimes I like to actually hold a Bible or I actually like to hold a hymn book. And I found um, a couple years back after reviewing a book, um, an author who is uh, converted to the Greek Orthodox tradition sent me a prayer rope. And I'd hold this prayer rope and then I would think of my hymnal and I really didn't see a lot of difference um, in the sentiment of it. So getting back to um, this book of common prayer, as I discovered these formal prayers, I read um, a story about an individual who on their deathbed couldn't, you know, dementia had set in and they couldn't, um, they couldn't uh, voice um, thoughts necessarily. They would recite these prayers, <laughs> you know, the prayer of humble access rolled off their tongue, but yet they weren't even forming coherent sentences anymore. And I thought, 
that's the depth that these prayers um, go into whenever we say them again and again. And, you know, uh, one of my one of my prayer books I use is called the Agpia. It's a Coptic Orthodox and it goes through the Psalm 51. Um, if you did it as often as they do, I don't. It, I think it's seven times a day, if I remember correctly. So you would say Psalm 51 plus other things seven times a day, right? No way are you going to say that with incredible meaning and vegetate on each word every single time. But Psalm 51 becomes like breathing. And you hear them called breath prayers sometimes. And that resonated with me um, quite a bit. So that's just one example of how it has enhanced my faith life um, and, and truly shown me new ways to experience Jesus. Yeah. I've had similar experience with the Book of Common Prayer where rote prayers were something that I thought were was outdated. Why would you write down your prayers? You know, you're led by the spirit to just pray in the moment. And you say a lot of things like just and just and but God and just God do this. Um, but no, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still pray that way. But discovering that these ancient words, I mean, the first time I've shared this on my podcast, but the first time I shared or tried the Book of Common Prayer was a compline. I was laying in bed and I just wept through these prayers because it was as if I discovered words that my soul was like literally longing to pray for years that I didn't know there were words for. And it just, it blew my mind that, you know, hundreds of years old, these words spoke to my situation, my life, and my way of praying in that moment. Um, so I'm with you on some of the discovery of how, how some of these practices can really um, impact your faith as well as give you a greater appreciation of the church. One one thing that I, I'm going back in my mind to um, the periods of time whenever you said that you would bash, so, you know, oh, they must not be doing it right. What I have found too is the other um, side of the coin. Once you experience these things, then you begin to bash what you came from. Mm. And, you know, and part of my um, process in writing the book, towards the very end, I don't know if it's the last chapter or not, I asked the question, would I be Southern Baptist again? If I moved back home, I had a church in my youth that was wonderful to me, still have so many friends there, but would that be my home church if I moved back? Um, I landed on yes, uh, because I very strongly believe that there's a family and a community that forms in a church. And if it's healthy, you can explore these things and you can examine these things and still be part of that family. And that's, I think, where my book is a little different. May, you know, oftentimes the memoirs that you read about individuals who have searched these things, they become Anglican or they become Catholic or they become Orthodox. Those are the big three that you usually hit if you take liturgical church calendar type vocabulary far enough. Um, I'm not at that point yet. I don't, you know, this is a journey. And so this is a stage in my journey, but I do know I still look back on my days with the Southern Baptist fondly. 
And I still love my local church here um, very much. Uh, I, I joke sometimes they, um, they probably feel like I'm a little bit like Maria Von Trapp. Remember the song, uh, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? Um, I, I don't, sometimes I'm out in left field for them and that's, that's okay. Um, but this book very strongly um, supports church community and healthy church exploring and conversations. And I think that's really important too. Um, I think, because not everybody's going to read a book and be like, that's it, I'm going to be Anglican too, just like this person. I think we needed a book that let people know it's okay if you don't want to leave your church. Um, you, you can still explore these things. And these things are still part of your heritage. Um, and that's huge. That's yeah. huge. And I agree that some of these practices, like the Book of Common Prayer, you don't have to be an Episcopalian to use them. And even though that that is a foundation within that tradition, that you can be a Baptist or a Lutheran or Pentecostal and still utilize that resource in a way to connect with God. And wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, and that's one of my kind of passions as I've kind of discovered these different church traditions is to utilize the the multiple traditions to better love and grasp the capital T great tradition. Um, of the church. I'd love to hear going back to, well, I have a few questions, but this one first. Um, are there other, as you've kind of journeyed to different traditions and explored some of this, are there other practices like spiritual practices or church rhythms? You mentioned the church calendar and even liturgy. Are there other things like that that have really impacted your daily faith life? And if so, what what are those and, and how does that look? What does that look like? Yeah, um, I, I would speak first to the church calendar um, because the more I got to learn about the church calendar, it made very little sense to me that I would go off of a school calendar or I would go off of a January to December. You know, I'm like, why wouldn't I want my calendar to be, you know, um, infiltrated with the journey uh, of Christ that makes so much sense to me. And you get a lot of pushback for that because, you know, people say, well, I'm going to, you know, Lent should be a daily practice. Well, maybe, but nothing wrong with this focused time um, of, of penance, of reflection. Um, and I have brought a lot of it into my home. Um, nothing that I grew up with whatsoever. Uh, but my daughter, I would, I would venture to say that her little advent tree is one of her favorite activities all year. We have um, early on when she was probably three years old, I wrote um, advent readings and I would open up my Bible and they're taken from Matthew and Luke. Um, I think the very last few days maybe hits on John three sixteen, um, And, but they take you step by step through um, the, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, having John the Baptist up to the birth of Jesus. And we read those together for the first year or two, you know, and then let's say seven or eight, she gets to where she can kind of read on her own. And I'm like, do you want me to find, you know, a, a book to kind of grow this experience? She's 12 years old and we still use that sheet <laughs> that walks her through the 25 days of Bible readings. And now she looks them up herself. 
Um, there are some mornings if I'm busy, I say, you know, go ahead and do your reading and she does it by herself. Um, and then at the end, she opens up a little drawer and gets, you know, a piece of candy or whatever. Um, but 12 years of hearing every detail of that Christmas story. Um, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. And then I think, you know, and, and the beauty of it is because I didn't grow up with these things, I think I can probably take a pretty creative slant to a lot of them. And so when we get to Lent, I'm like, why don't we have 40 days of Jesus life and then leading up to the cross and the rest, you know what I mean? It's like, let's take Advent and that really cool daily um, reading aspect and now make that our Lent. Um, I'm wild over Holy Week, um, partly because it's it's new to me, but um, just the, that time of reflection on what Jesus did each day um, or that we read of him doing each day is remarkable to me. Um, two years ago, yeah, because this year Easter, of course, looked very different. Two years ago, I went to my first Easter vigil, which is um, Catholic uh, tradition and happened, I want to say seven or eight at night. And anytime I do that now, just because my online audience is a little bit bigger, I will ask ahead of time on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and I'll say, okay, this is what I'm going to go do. What, tell me, tell me what I need to know, you know, so I don't stand out too much. So I don't do anything too wrong. Um, and they kept telling me it'll probably be three or four hours. So be prepared. There were no baptisms that particular Easter vigil. And so that significantly cut down the time of the service. So it was maybe two hours. Um, but you start outside and they light. I, I don't know exactly what all they're doing. I wish I should look it up to know better. Um, they light a candle that they take inside and that's supposed to be like the, the light of the world, right? And it's um, it lit up big then because it's the resurrection versus Good Friday when everything was dark. Um, it's, and then there, time of blessing the oil maybe. But the, finally, we did reach this point where the priest comes around, and I'm not going to be able to think of the fancy name, but he, um, it, he goes around and he shakes like a, a canter. I don't think that's what it's called. But anyway, um, he shakes it and it and it does literally have water in it. And the point being that if there had been bad pisms that day, the congregation that was there was also invited to remember their baptism. Really beautiful. And so you're going around and I did get sprinkled. I didn't, it wasn't like, you know, a bucket of water by any means, but um, did get sprinkled with the water and blown away by the idea of um, remembering my baptism <laughs> because I was old enough to actually remember mine. Um, I was yeah. seven. And so then, you know, you think, gosh, what are they even talking about? Because a Catholic doesn't remember their baptism. They're infants, right? But there's this whole concept that um, if you're open to reading about it, uh, every, every year they remember the fact that they're baptized into one holy church and that um, that joins them up with uh, saints across the ages, et cetera. That's a cool concept that I have not experienced in my own church. Mm, that's great. I found a lot of this uh, allows us to see the mystery that is the Christian faith. And there's, I mean, Paul speaks over and over about the mystery of Christ, the mystery 
of the people. It's all over his writings, but we never really talk about it. And But what I've found is some of these practices or even the symbolism of remembering your baptism or the symbolism of how church certain churches are, like the structure itself, how it's laid out, some of the symbolism that you use in a service allows us to just acknowledge the mystery of God. And that's been really cool for me coming from a, you know, pretty evangelical experience to experience the mystery that is the mysterious divine one. It's pretty profound. And it allows me to get glimpses of God in in new ways. And I think um, it's helped me settle into my faith a little bit. There's not as much, um, you know, the scripture that tells us uh, where Jesus tells us that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That never makes any sense to us, right? Because we're like, life's hard. And, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. There seems to be all these things that combat it. But I think for me, as I have discovered more and more of Jesus, more and more of the mystery, that's where the settling has come in. Um, a, a, a trust that God has it. Um, a, it. I was asked on Twitter one time, what, what's the biggest thing you've taken from visiting all of these churches? And I loved that question. And I told him I wasn't going to get back to him right away. I wanted to um, have time to think about it. My answer, when it came to me, I absolutely knew that the biggest thing I have taken from visiting these churches, the, all these different traditions, is giving up my need to be right. And that's where that mystery comes in, too, because I, I don't care if you're Lutheran, if you're Southern Baptist, if you're Amish, if you're Orthodox, you don't have it all right. God is not figure outable. <laughs> and that's good, right? I mean, we, we want a God so much bigger um, than we are. And so, you know, I had a, I had an individual ask me, so what do you do with doctrinal differences then? Because they exist, right? Like, I don't, we're not going to reach a point where we all agree to everything. But to me, um, Christ asks us to be one church. He asks us to be unified, even knowing, even back then, they didn't agree on everything by no means. And so it had to be something beyond agreeing on every doctrinal um, theology point. And for me, that point of unification is Christ, is the fact that we have a Father, we have a Son, and we have a Holy Spirit who forms us, who we worship. Um, And you can find that. You can find that in any tradition. Does it mean every single person that goes to every single church has that? No, but that's true in my church, the same as it is in yours. Um, And so... You know, at first that was a little scary idea. You know, it's like, what are what are my friends back home gonna say who haven't been on this journey? Um, and I address that more and more in my mind, but that's where I've landed. Um, it if you are a brother or sister of mine in Christ, and we can explore that idea together we're going to learn something from one another. And I want to learn all I can. I had a mentor once who used to say, you might be right too, but you might also be wrong too. Um, And they might be right too. Um, 
And I've, I've just loved that quote because it, it's similar to what you're saying. Yeah, they, they might be right too, and they might be wrong too, and I might be right too and wrong too. And it's helped me in a similar way with you. Those debates and the, I have to be right about this, it's a less interesting conversation for me. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that, you know, like I'm just not involved or being apathetic, but there's some greater things that I find in this conversation than this is the right way to do church. I think it can be a right way to do church, but there's other right ways too. And they are all beautiful as long as they don't do harm, obviously. Um, but that, that has been a neat reminder for me of, yeah, that I can learn something as a Catholic from Lutherans and I can experience God through an Episcopal church service, just in the same way as I can in that Pentecostal service. Um, and I'm going to experience God in different ways. And that's a really beautiful thing that I've seen in, in the church, the, the larger church. For sure. For sure. And one of the things, um, as I wrote, as I wrote the book and looking back at it now, I feel like different people are going to interact with the book in different ways. Um, And at the very least, at the very least, if you stop saying everything a Catholic does is wrong, that's great. That is great progress for some people. If you are at a point where, like me, you want to visit and crazy, crazy, you want to take your daughter along, great. I hope this book gives you the courage to do that because that is a scary step. Um, you know, if you want to get your own book of common prayer and then ask your Anglican friends on social media, now what, (laughs) what do I do with this? Great. I, you know, and I think, um, that's, that's part of why I'm so um, excited about the book and not, it, it stopped being about me writing it a long time ago, if that makes sense. Um, it became a conversation that I wanted to ask the church to have um, church capital C. And I, I often think too, please read this and be interested in going to a believer's baptism just to see it. Cause that's really beautiful. Um, when a dad gets in the swimming pool <laughs> with his, you know, 11 year old son and they have this family moment, um, are they doing it exactly right? Gosh, if there's anything um, that is maybe up in the air for me, it's baptism. Uh, I just think God loves baptism water. You know, I I think he loves the uh, connection that he can offer to us whenever um, we we baptize in those waters. So probably not the best person to ask theologically about that. Um, (laughs) But but that's that's part of the process, too. Um, And not everything. You know, I had to um, I had to reach a point in the book where I asked the question, "Okay, what do we have to agree on? What what do you have to agree on to be a Christian? I don't know if I landed where everyone will or not. I presented the Apostles Creed. And the the points um, made in that, which, again, I had not heard of till I was 30. And. I think. You know, there's there's some debate there still, but um, for me, if you uh, 
if you are following those things and if those are statements that you can make with certainty, then we can learn again um, from one another. I lost my train of thought. No worries. I've, I'm similar to you, the discovery of the Apostles' Creed, even the Nicene Creed. I mean, I, I studied those in seminary. I, you know, you, you study them in church history courses on why they wrote those the way they did and the debates on, I mean, we read them in English, but the original languages and all that that means. But the beauty of saying that every day or, you know, once a week in a church service, those are things that when I don't feel it, like when I'm not feeling my faith, they remind me of what I do believe. And so there are times where when I, if I do read that, I'm like, ah, that's a creed that's old. Okay. And yet there are other times where they bring me to tears because I believe, yes, this is what. And a connection. Yes. And a connection. Like you said, even when you can't create it, there's still, yeah. And that's where I was going with that, um, with that idea of the creeds. Um, There are things that I think uh, we have to hold fast to. Um, There's a quote used all the time um, in, I I should write it down because I can never remember it. Um, But the things that are essential, we need unity. And the things that are non-essential, we we can, uh, yes. Um, And that's what, um, that's where I think I'm striving to be, um, holding, holding the things loosely uh, that I can, um, hold loosely and then looking at things like, and, uh, the Nicene Creed is, um, beautiful. Some would say probably an even better depiction, um, of Christianity. It just wasn't as familiar to me. Um, I, attending a reformed church now we do on occasion, um, go, go through the apostles creed. It was, uh, pretty funny. One of the first years that we were attending, we would put the Apostles' Creed up on the overhead projector, and after the Lord's Supper, we would say it, right? Well, we're a plant church, and plenty of individuals who did not grow up in the Reformed tradition, many people didn't even grow up churched. And so we have this Apostles' Creed, we're going through it, you know, probably four or five lines in, and the projector goes out. (laughs) And there's like three people that have it memorized to say it, right, right. We're, you know, we're we're all learning. Um, But much like you said, uh, I read those words or, or the ancient prayers. I sit in mass, um, an Orthodox, uh, divine liturgy and my soul's hungry for something that I didn't know it craved. Um, it, it is meeting and, and, you know, that's, um, that's trendy. If you will, I read several articles, um, like that. Uh, like I say, what I'm trying to press into is evangelicals, which I am. Can I take you along with me? Can, can we, you know, it's your church history too. Um, you know, I, I, can't, I often ask my pastor if I can put a little basin of holy water outside of the sanctuary because I love dipping my hands in the holy water and that prepares my heart for worship very well. And he always laughs. He doesn't take it very serious. But I am serious. I am serious. Like, you know, Baptist, Reformed, uh, non-denominational churches everywhere. Can we please have, just a little, you don't all have to use it, just a little basin outside of the sanctuary. Some of the churches that I've been a part of that I've loved dearly, it's almost as if they've, in their quest to become relevant, 
they've ripped away and 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 took away from church services everything that actually makes them relevant. And some of these things like baptismal water or saying the apostles creed or certain ways of reading scripture, communion, right? Like yeah, we we've ripped it away hoping to be trendy and and seeker sensitive, but we've really ripped away the mystery, the depth, the symbolism that really can allow us, no matter where we are on our journey, to connect with God in a way that I can't force upon people. And, and that's what I've, I, I, I see a resurgence of that in a lot of churches, contemporary churches incorporating silence or centering prayer, Lexio Divina, right? Um, and so I see that more and more. And so that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and I, like you, I want to see more of it because I think it'll just, it'll be better for our souls. It really will. When I wrote a blog post, uh, it's probably been a year ago now, called um, Catholicism is Not Contagious. And I asked um, t- my, my Twitter friends for a title. It was not my own, but loved the title. But I think that's part of what we're going to have to fight against. Um, I think if somebody sees um, a rosary, for example, they immediately think Catholic, you know, um, and what I have found, I I have not used a rosary. I think we have one in the house somewhere, but um, easily transferable to the prayer rope that I do have and do use. I will pray the Jesus prayer. Um, It can be really beautiful, you know, and one of the other uh, titles that was suggested, which I also liked, was uh, Why Do Catholics Get All the Good Stuff? <laughs> That's great. Um, Tracy, if there are ways people can connect with you on social media, website, how can people do that? And then also, where can people get your book? Yeah. Um, my blog is tracesoffaith.com, and my social media pages are a variation of that. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, I am Traces of Faith on Facebook and Pinterest. I am Traces of Faith blog. And then um, as far as the book, Church Publishing Incorporated was my publisher, um, which is a Episcopalian arm of publishing. And so you can get it directly at their website um, or any Barnes and Noble has it, Amazon has it, I know my local Christian bookstore in Grand Rapids has been able to order it. Um, the quarantine has um, slowed things down a bit. Uh, I still have people saying, you know, they, like I say, it came out May 17th and I'll still have people um, shooting me a text, you know, ah, oh, it's delayed till the end of the month, whatever. So um, you have to kind of be patient with the process, but it's certainly available um, wherever fine books are sold, as they say. There you go. And I'll put all of that in show notes. So if those are listening, they can just go in the show notes and I'll link it so you can click right on it. But I do thank you for being a part of this. I feel like we could talk church for, for hours, um, but it's really exciting to see um, a bit of your journey, how you are helping people love the greater church and step away from the debates and the arguments. And and I, I, I think that's um, a good and godly work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, and it's great great to see that happening. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate your efforts as well. And so friends, as you are spiritually wandering, trying to reclaim the beauty of the church and discovering the divine, 
May you have peace. May you have calm. May you have happiness.